Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Spliff Podcast. I'm Bo Nellis, your host, and this is episode 49. We are going to talk about the entourage effect or why whole plant matters. And uh, yeah, I just want to apologize real quick for getting this one out so late again. If you've been waiting on it, uh, I tried to record an episode yesterday and I was kind of rushed. And when I went to listen back to edit it, I was just like, I wasn't happy when I stopped it anyway. And then I listened back to it and I was like, no, this is for real. This isn't in my head. I need to re-record this. So here I am. And I'm still a little busy, but we are going to get this done legit, all right? So let's get started with some stoner moments where I like to open it up, talking about things that I already talked about. So last week I talked about allergies and uh, the effects of the fires in Southern California on my sinuses and how I use THCA infused coconut oil, I should clarify, in order to help minimize a lot of the sinus swelling issues that really make me miserable during those times. And it's really been working. I'm really excited. Uh, But I did kind of forget to mention the really the first sign that I really like to to look for, which is just that itchy nose, that itchy nostril. Like you don't even have to get a Q-tip all the way back up in there if uh, if you're just someone who suffers mild allergies. Addressing that itchy feeling at the tip of your nostrils right away with a little soothing soothe or your own THCA-rich coconut oil does amazing things, both for the itchiness and for chapping, if uh, you have issues with that too. Coconut oil's really been great for keeping my nose moisturized. Uh, and then I mentioned last week that me and my friend Heather were going to go to the higher path, and we did, and I totally got myself some of the higher path exclusive CBD quote-unquote oil, um, which I don't really want to use because I feel like that makes it sound like it's an activated product, but this is actually a really crystally sugar-like oil-coated product, and those oils are terpenes, uh, which we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, today. And it's really, it's a CBDA product. It's an acidic form, a crystallized form of the cannabinoid CBD, not the activated form. So I think oil is a little bit of a misnomer. But I did pick up some and I had an amazing time. It was super busy on Thursday. Oh, and I did go during happy hour, I think. So that was the first time I've ever gone during happy hour. And it's pretty popular, not going to lie. Um, but I picked up some of the oil and I have been mixing some of the CBDA crystals in with some of the Soothing Sue's coconut oil. I also want to make some that is just a regular coconut oil with the CBDA crystals, but I'm short on coconut oil right now and I've been a little lazy, so I've been using the Suze. But I did try some of the CBDA plus THCA coconut oil infusion in, uh, you know, as my, my allergy medicine in the nose, the ears, and the gums. And I have to say that... That worked really well as an anti-inflammatory too. 
Uh, I haven't tried it in all the other ways yet, like a suppository and things like that. But I did start taking it as an edible. And without really thinking it through too much, I started taking uh, probably about eight milligrams of the CBDA, which I think has been too much. Um, I don't want to blame what I've been experiencing on the CBDA. I think it's a multitude of things, but I have been going through some serious hormonal fluctuations uh, very suddenly and unexpectedly. And I think that the CBDA has kind of contributed to that. And I think it's because I, I took too much and um, I'm not familiar with the way that my system is going to downregulate uh, taking too much of the acidic form. And and I think it, it was it's worse than when the system downregulates from the THCA for me. It was just it was too much. So what I've done is I'm going to let my body kind of detox and re-regulate, and I think that's happening. Um, I'm I'm not taking any of the CBDA as an edible right now, um, and if I do, I will limit it to, or when I do again, I should say, I will limit it to about three to five megs max in each dosage, and hopefully that will be more appropriate. One of the other things that I'm doing um, is that I'm going to, since since I'm trying to match the CBD oil that I bought at the Cannabis Cup, which is supposed to have been an activated oil, but which I suspect was not completely activated because of its semi-crystalline structure. It was kind of fudge-like, really stiff, but not exactly crystally. Uh, I, I think it was a mixture of CBD and CBDA plus the terpene that was most present, which uh, based on the dab that I took of the Higher Paths CBD oil, it was it tasted exactly the same as uh, the CBD oil that I picked up at the Cannabis Cup, kind of like uh, very heavy in the linalool, kind of like a dryer sheet, very floral. And I think with just an underhint of mint, maybe, I don't know, I have to dab it again. It wasn't a flavor I like, uh, but more of what I suspect is an indica-leaning terpene to go with it. So, so that seemed to match, but what was missing was activated CBD. So I started taking some CBD coconut oil that I had made at home myself from some CBD flour, and that really helped balance me out. So... Where you would take CBD to counterbalance the effects of THC, CBD also worked really well to counterbalance the effects of the CBDA for me, it seems. They they work best when they work together. And that's what I want to talk about today is why that is, or what is more colloquially known as the entourage effect, uh, and perhaps better named as a synergistic effect. But real fast, I just want to say, holy new numbers. Oh, my gosh. Uh, now that the kids are back in school, welcome back, parents. Thanks for catching up. And I think it's really helped me see how many new people have been listening, too. And I made some pretty big jumps lately. Um, and, you know, anything can happen at any time. But, yeah, so welcome to the new ones and welcome back to the others. And, uh I'm just super excited to be talking with y'alls. Yes. 
All right, so let's move on to the entourage effect. And as we do, or I should say right before we do, I'm just going to take a quick snap of some CBD dominant flower that I got from the higher path that's called citrine CBD. Now I think it's citrine CBD to clarify because some strains can vary between THC rich or CBD rich. This particular strain, according to the menu description, is a three to one ratio at, get this, 24% CBD to 8% THC. That would be a combined cannabinoid ratio of 32%. Now, I don't quite buy that, but I really like the strain. I think it's phenomenal in its taste, but more importantly, in its effects. Uh, It's very focused. It's very uplifting, very happy, very positive. It actually really reminds me of the Joker pills that, um, that are so incredibly sacred to me, of which I only have one more left, and which have been incredibly key to helping me overcome periods of severe depression. And, um, and it isn't quite as profoundly effective as those pills are, because a lot of times smoking isn't as effective as an edible is. Um, But for rapid, uplifting focus, this strain is really incredible. And I I'm really excited to pick up more. Um, I know I've seen it on the Higher Paths menu, and the Higher Path is in Sherman Oaks, if you're wondering. You can find it on Weed Maps, uh, and I'll also have a link to it in the blog post at thespliffpodcast.com slash podcast or slash whatever, uh, episode 49, it's kind of a long one. You just go to the short one. It's really easy to find. It'll be at the top. And oh, I guess depending on when you listen to this, it might not be anymore, but there's a search bar so you can use that. Point being, I have found a new favorite CBD dominant strain, citrine, uh, one that has been more effective for my depression than any other CBD strain that I've used so far. Really, really nice. I still want to see the test results on it, like the actual test results on it, but really, really nice. I'm very excited. All right. I'm going to snap it again. Oh, I did snap it. I took one. I'm going to snap another one. Hold on, guys. I'll be right back. All right, I'm back. And that's delicious. I want to say, too, that this citrine is neither the look nor the smell that I would normally go for. It isn't completely off-putting to me. It has an earthy, sweet lemon smell to it. It's like, um, let me see here. Yeah, 100%. It's it's if you made lemon drops with weed, if you had uh, cannabis infused lemon drops, that's what it smells like. And now that I have just pinpointed it like that, I'm actually in love with it. And I can't believe that I wouldn't have picked this because I love lemon drops and I love weed. But sometimes the things you love don't always mix together very well. And that's another thing we're going to talk about today. So I, I'm glad I picked this up. I picked it up, I think, 
because I also got a free gram of what I really wanted from the higher path. And I do love their reward system and all of the freebies that they have. They, I just feel like they're, they're a shining model. And I hope uh, I got to meet their social media manager, Megan, and I got to reach out to her and see about maybe doing an interview or something. I'm really excited. I can't wait. Yeah. I love the higher path. Okay. Uh, what was I talking about? The entourage effect. So the entourage effect is a way that scientists have tried to wrap their head around why whole plant cannabis is just vastly superior to their single compound pharmaceuticals, which they just didn't think would happen. Cannabis is a complex plant. It has many components and it's called the entourage effect because science and research in general has always focused on the THC molecule as the active uh, molecule in cannabis because that's the one we feel. And when you're only thinking of cannabis as an intoxicating drug, Sure, THC is a very big component. It's not the only component. Terpenes are also uh, psychoactive in their own right, um, but not on the level of THC, right? So when all of your research is focused around THC, yeah, you tend to shine a light on THC. But when you actually think of cannabis as a medicine, as a medicinal application you realize that there are numerous active molecules or active components to this plant, that almost every single part of the cannabis plant has some sort of beneficial uh, reaction in your body or, or potential application for the majority of well, human beings and animals. As we look more into it, really pretty much everything on the planet benefits from this. Not everyone's ready to swallow that yet. Some people in, in the science community are better than others. Uh, I was reading an article that was quoting a Dr. Grinspoon, which is a fantastic name. Uh, and he said that we should think of it more as an ensemble effect, where instead of highlighting one thing where all of these others kind of work around, uh, but really there's one star of the show, really what happens is this is a, a, a well-constructed team, an ensemble uh, that that is able to create this fantastic stage play in the end, and they just work really well together. But you have to have the right components in order to get the right final product. And... And that's a really good way to think of it, too. Uh, but ensemble effect, eh, I think the use of synergy or the synergistic effect is probably the most appropriate term that is being used right now, uh, even if I didn't put it in the title because the SEO isn't quite as height. So, and it's just not what most people are going to be looking for to understand. So if you want to uh, to help others understand it better, 
synergy might be a more appropriate term because what it means is that at any point in time, all of these components can be working together. Really what that that refers to is that any of these components in the cannabis can work together far better than any of the components by themselves. And that's really what we see out of the cannabis plant, especially when they are trying to make pharmaceuticals out of it, uh, especially when they are trying to distill it down. And, and this this is true for a wide variety of therapeutic effects. When you're really trying to dial in to find the appropriate balance between THC and CBD, the different cannabinoids, and the different terpenes and terpenoids, potentially different flavonoids or flavonoids. I think I always say that wrong. Uh, and then, um, and all the other components that are there, there are amino acids and proteins and, and it really depends on what part of the plant you're talking about too. So different combinations of the cannabis plant can really have, or can really be the key to unlocking a successful therapeutic attempt with cannabis. And I think one of the places that that really shines through is when they do talk about kids with seizures. Uh, Charlotte's Web has been a huge phenomenon with oil uh, made from the strain affecting the little girl Charlotte completely successfully. But other children with, I think, the same syndrome with Dravet syndrome and with other forms of epilepsy are not finding success with that particular strain. And that's because the cannabinoid ratio, the synergistic effects aren't appropriate for their particular bioindividuality, which is a term that I heard yesterday. And I was like, oh my God, that's perfect. That's exactly what I've needed to hear. So your bio-individuality, how you personally process things is extremely important. And there's there's just no way to say, this is your bio-individuality. This is the cannabinoid ratio you should be taking with these particular terpenes. There's no way to say that. You really just kind of have to experiment. But again, I mean, they make you experiment with everything, right? I mean, you don't know for sure that that aspirin's going to help your headache the first time you take it. You don't know that one aspirin will help. You don't know that three aspirin will help. You play with it. And that's the same thing that we have to do with cannabis. Earlier, I was talking about mixing CBDA, uh, the acidic form of CBD, with the activated form of CBD, which is CBD. Uh, so I, go, I guess I should have said cannabidiol. But who cares? Um, to me, I think smoking CBD is a really great example uh, of, uh, a, a, well, a, I should say more of a tangible example of how different cannabinoids interact with the terpenes. Because to me, smoking a CBD only strain with very little to no THC. And so that we're talking about less than 1% THC in the strain. Um, it's just a flatter taste. 
it tastes more like smoking a cigarette or smoking an herbal cigarette or something super gross like that. It's just a little bit harder to choke down. The flavors aren't as nice. It's like a, a soup that you started to eat too early as opposed to when you throw a little THC into it or if you choose to smoke a THC only strain, if you're able to work past the ability to have the heat and smoke in your lungs so that every hit you take, you aren't coughing. If you're actually able to enjoy the the ability to uh, vape or smoke cannabis, then you can really feel the difference and enjoy the flavor in the smoke of a THC. It's just smoother. It's like a well-settled, a well-mixed soup that's that's uh, sat for a day and it's just perfect, right? Incredibly balanced. You can pick out all these different flavors and it has all this this personality to it. Now, when you start adding more THC into a CBD-rich strain, it really helps balance out the overall effect and taste to me, more importantly. It makes the entire smoking experience more enjoyable. And the better balanced the strains are, the more I, I enjoy it to where you hit that tipping point and it's just more THC and it just... Uh, eventually, depending on the terpene profile, of course, you can get pretty coffee if it's an expansive one. But that again, just kind of shows where the THC is really playing with the terpenes that are there and making them even better. But CBD doesn't do it. That's not to say it doesn't have that synergistic effect that CBD doesn't also work in your system and the terpenes are going to also work in your system. They work alongside each other. Maybe they're not working together to produce something as a team, but they're kind of doing their own lone wolf thing. And because of that, you're better in its entirety. Going back to those children with epilepsy and things like that, they may not need that Charlotte Webb strain. They need something else. Their bio-individuality needs more THC to it. It needs different terpenes to it. It needs something else to achieve the desired effect. Now, when I try the CBD concentrates, I've mentioned that I really don't care for distillates. Even with terpenes, the CBD just really doesn't... One, I, I don't... The terpenes have changed. They're not as good to me. And two, the CBD just doesn't complement them well enough to be 99% CBD with some terpenes to it and not to dab with. But I've had shattered that was almost a one-to-one -one ratio. I think it was 45% THC to like 37% CBD. And, oh, God, that was delicious. Again, you could really pull out the flavors. Uh, and they just, they played well together on the tongue and in the nose and therefore in the mind. But if you want to work on your canister ability, that's, that's kind of one thing to play with is uh, 
if you want, if you have the ability to access laboratory results, you can see where high levels of the same terpene in different cannabinoid ratios really taste different. And I mean, if you can get your hands on that citrine strain in a high THC and get your hands on the citrine CBD strain, oh my God, I would love to play with something like that. I mean, it tastes good what I have right now, but on the exhale, it's you really get more of an OG. It's very, very earthy. The earthiness really comes through. And I'd really like to be able to taste that sweet lemon that you get on the nose a little bit better in the inhale. So, because that's what I really like. And I hope that it also helps you, again, get that rather tangible way of understanding the difference between uh, what an entourage is. To me, smoking a CBD-only strain is an entourage, whereas smoking a THC-dominant strain is an ensemble. And then just the entire way that they work within your body, that is their synergy. And, uh, and so that, those are the ways that I like to play with all of those different terms. And I, I'm sure I've played with them a lot in earlier podcasts too. So, all right. I think I'm going to wrap that part up and move on to the next section that I wanted to discuss, which was terpenes. Uh, just take a moment to really define those a little bit better. Um, those are what direct the effect of the strain and the smell. They can be as potent as pine and more diverse than roses. Uh, the, the smells that you can get from cannabis, some of you might be like, weed smells like weed. Um, but when you really take the time to open up and get to know the different profiles uh, that are there via the strains and the genetics, you become much more familiar with these different terpene combinations. Now, the importance of terpenes is still... A relatively new thing. It was discovered uh, when the pharmaceutical companies were trying to use Marinol, and they found that patients still preferred whole plant cannabis to the the synthetic cannabinoids or the single compound derivatives. And because of this, newer pharmaceuticals that are coming out uh, will have both THC and CBD, uh, a varied cannabinoid profile, and they will also include terpenes that are based on particular cannabis strains. Now, that's great, but it's still a refined product, and it's just... In most cases, again, for a therapeutic use, we're not necessarily talking about treating things like cancer here, though this absolutely will have a significant impact on those kinds of things as well. Um, but one of the reasons why patients really prefer, and those who aren't patients, really prefer whole plant strains to uh, the pharmaceuticals that are available is because the pharmaceuticals really aren't matching the profiles of these strains. They are taking the biggest and most noticeable profiles that are available of these terpenes 
something like uh, a large amount of myrcene with uh, some beta carophylline and a, a, a pinch of linalool. Uh, that might be a really prominent thing to show up. But the problem is multiple strains, the same way that they can test for the same THC, depending on how many terpenes you're testing for, can also be extremely similar in the terpene content. Now, when it comes to terpenes, we aren't talking full percentages here usually. If you have something that is a full 1% terpene, you are working with a concentrate for one, and, uh, and that's still a really impressive amount of terpene in a concentrate on any level. And I've seen them get really high. I mean, as people learn how to refine the extraction process and then places like the Nectars Collective that's up in the Bay Area with their terp juice. Oh my God, I need it. Um, we're really just going to start to see higher and higher amounts of terpenes in a lot of these concentrates. And I think that's great. Because to me, terpenes that are cannabis-derived are significantly superior when trying to elicit a physiological response in the body. And as opposed to, you know, other plant-based terpenes, they still work together on a lot of the same levels. And if you distill the terpenes in cannabis out, yeah, molecularly, they are similar but cannabis-based terpenes, the terpenes are produced in the same part of the plant that the cannabinoids are. They're, they're uh, I, think, I think, was it synthated? The synthesis? Whatever. Uh, when they're made, they're all created from the same kind of chemicals to begin with. And then they actually, as they develop, become different things. So you could say that terpenes are cannabinoids and cannabinoids are terpenes, but in order to actually bring some clarity to the subject, we don't. Um, every time I read that on a forum, I'm like, yeah, sure, let's not make any fucking sense here. But anyway, moving on. So because these are in teeny tiny amounts, especially compared to the cannabinoids, it's really cost prohibitive to look for all the terpenes that are in it in these teeny tiny microcosmic amounts, uh, especially when we aren't totally sure of what we're looking for, uh, what we should be looking for, things like that. So when you start looking for things you're not sure what you're looking for, you tend to look for the things that are easiest to find. And so a lot of those vape pens that I don't like, things like that, those are not necessarily always cannabis-derived terpenes that are being used. And I think that's a big reason why I don't like them. I like cannabis-derived terpenes better, on top of a bazillion other things I've already talked about. But these teeny, since terpenes work in such tiny numbers, tiny numbers make huge differences to us. And I, I was reading something that said that um, when it comes to building a terpene profile, that, uh, you know, not all terpenes in the cannabis plant are noteworthy or noseworthy. And, and to which I really scoffed. I, <laughs> I scoffed, all right? Because while they may not be noteworthy on any lab results, they are 100% noseworthy. In fact, they are even more 
importantly noseworthy because they are so often not noteworthy on these test results. Uh, Going back to Dr. Grinspoon, who uh, came up with the ensemble effect, he mentioned that eventually these profiles will be what you really need. And you can kind of just go into someplace and get get the right refined amount all put together for you as a basically as a pharmaceutical or what the pharmaceutical companies are trying to do right now. And that strain names are going to be non-existent. You won't have to worry about having to walk into any kind of pharmacy and, and dare having to utter, can I get some Alaskan thunderfuck? Well, actually, yeah, you still do because of the terpenes and how important they are to completing that synergistic effect in order to release those, the entire hormonal profile that your body requires in order to produce the desired effect. And that is only hinted at currently through the strain names. And until they actually start testing for all the terpenes, it's going to rely on our nose in order to pull out those very nuanced differences. Because you can have very similar terpene profiles. Uh, let's say that you have a, a blue dream and a blue haze. And I, I have no idea, this is really just me guessing. But let's say when they come back, They're both 20% THC, 1% CBD, and they both have very similar terpene profiles. But if you're trying to recreate those things, you need the teeny tiny differences that make that blue dream just a little sweeter and creamier and that blue haze just a little bit drier. And those don't come out in the big profiles that are return on lab results a lot of times that are the basis for a lot of these mixtures. And that's a tragedy. But I do feel that it will change. I know that there are others in the industry who feel the same way I do. I was listening to um, the Hot Box podcast, which is pretty decent. It's a pretty decent podcast. Um, the, the episode that I was listening to was the guy from the Tricome Institute. I think his name was Max Montrose. And around the 26th mark, he he also starts talking about how he views cannabinoid-based terpenes are m- preferred. Uh, and I think there was a part where he was telling a story about a guy who left the lid off a jar of cannabis-derived terpenes and, uh, and basically got kind of stoned off of it not truly stoned, but certainly affected in the same way that cops would feel affected when they walked into a grow room. You're not going to fail a drug test by any means, but yeah, you feel affected the same way if you walked into a room filled with lavender, you would feel affected. Those are terpenes. Uh, But cannabis-derived terpenes are just so incredibly powerful. They work so well with our body and my prediction is that the use of cannabinoid-based terpenes will have a significant market share of future fragrance markets, um, of different, you know, like industrial markets for cleaning and things like that, but especially future fragrance markets because of their hormonal release potential. 
And I think that uh, cannabis strains and their full profiles are going to teach us a lot about ourselves and why we act the way we do and how to manipulate it, which is important to watch for. So I hope that helps you understand what the entourage effect is, what synergy is, why certain strains will work better for different people and for different conditions and uh, throughout different parts of your day because you are constantly changing your your medication might have to constantly be changing. That's what I like to believe because I like to smoke a lot of different types of weed. Um, and I, I was listening to, was it the Hotbox podcast again? It might have been the Hotbox podcast again where this guy was talking about doing 99 strains in 30 days. And he said that the way he felt afterwards is like, like he might as well have said he went on some fucking juice cleanse or something. Like he felt well balanced. He felt like... He had just taken a bunch, all the right multivitamins and stuff. And um, and I totally dig that. I really want to try that. Because I also feel that this is basically a vitamin in a lot of ways. And, you know, when it taps into the endocannabinoid system, it really helps regulate it. And getting the right synergistic effects throughout is vastly important, especially when you're trying to not have any acne and then you go and decide that you're going to freak your body out and break out into a bunch of acne. (sighs) Damn it. All right, guys, safety meeting. Yeah, let's do it. All right, let's have some fun stuff. At the higher path, I got my hand on some of the San Francisco dragon's breath that I love so much. It is a really heady, racy sativa, and I believe it won the 2009 Cannabis Cup Award. Uh, I don't know if that was like the Bay Area one. I don't know how many Cannabis Cups they had at that time, but it doesn't matter. It's a really great strain, and I love it. Uh, Cameron knows it can be really heady and racy, right? Yeah. Happy birthday again, Cameron. Uh, I hope everything's going well for you in the bathroom right now while you're getting paid. Um, I'm going back to the weed. It smells so good. I love just smelling it. I will definitely prime my system by just smelling this weed because uh, it makes me happy. It's got a lovely citrus, piney berry flavor. It's, oh, it's really complex. And it's uh, it's not the highest in THC, I think I want to say it's probably in the 18% range, but, oh, it's just, it's lovely. It's very tasty. All right, enough talking about it. Let's smoke it. The nugs are on the looser side, which I actually kind of prefer. I don't need a super dense nug. The citrine CBD is a really dense snug. (coughs) (coughs) And this dragon's breath is 100% expansive. Just like it should be. Now where the San Francisco dragon's breath varies from other dragon's breath strains that I've tried, um, it's a little more tart. Which is that that just lean towards pine, just a hint of the pine 
So not as spicy as other dragon's breaths. Uh, a little bit more towards the citrus. But oh, so good. So good. All right. We're going to talk about one of the things that every stoner needs in order to have a successful safety meeting. And that is legislation. Safe access means it's got to be on the books, you guys. And Stony Scott asked me what my unqualified thoughts were on Prop 64, not Colorado's 64, but California's 64, because I guess they wanted it to be confusing. And because uh, it's coming up in November. And I like to say thanks, Stony Scott, for kind of pushing me to really look into this more because I kind of glossed over it. Um, but every time I got to the taxation, I was just like, ugh, and this is super dry and boring and I'm not really like, I'm all, I'm just waiting for marijuana today to do a podcast on it. Yeah, guys. Yeah. Come on, get the crew together. Let's do it. Guys and gals, I should say. Um, but they haven't yet. So I looked more into it and I didn't, I checked out like, you know, some summary pages and I looked over some of the text that I wanted to, and I looked over some of the additional reports but it was really just a, a very quick glance at a very long document I don't plan to read in its entirety because it seems to be intentionally confusing. I don't know. Uh, but here are my unqualified thoughts. I don't like it. I don't like it at all. First reason I don't like it. It's going to limit how much I can possess. Uh, one ounce of dry flour and eight grams of concentrate. One, that makes no good goddamn sense whatsoever. Two, it doesn't seem to allow for personal cultivation outside of being a patient. Um, and it makes it really, really harder to become one. I had an episode about what I had to do in order to renew my doctor recommendation this year. And it was great. I was able to do it from the comfort of my own home. I was able to talk to a doctor who was experienced on the subject, who even if I didn't have the, the greatest personal connection with, at least was able to offer me good information about conditions I was looking into. That is really important to me. Uh, Prop 64 has the, uh, the language where it has to be an attending physician, an attending physician. Uh, now, what that means specifically, I don't know. They didn't really seem to clarify it, and it might end up in a lawsuit before it gets defined. So what the fuck does that mean for me? Uh, it also says that you have to join the state registration program. It, it really limits the medical program down. Um, I didn't see anything about limiting qualifying conditions. I would have to look more into that. But I can't afford to go and do the whole state ID registration process as it is. So I'm, I'm kind of fucked there if this goes through. Uh, and I also don't want to have to be on a state ID registration. I, I, I don't want to have to be on any kind of state registration list like that. Um, more reasons I don't like it. The taxes are too high and too vague. We really uh, don't know what's going to happen. And it's already at 15% just to cultivate on top of all the local taxes that uh, are going to be applied. 
Um, all the revenue that is going to be accounted for is being overdistributed. Uh, everybody's getting a cut. Uh, from what I saw, they're way over a hundred percent is being allocated out, and then most of it's going to the wrong avenues. From what I understand, the majority of the revenue has been dog-eared for drug substance abuse programs. I don't understand taking money from something and sending it to a program that is going to tell you that that thing is no good for you whatsoever. It's fucking bullshit. I understand sending taxes from cigarettes to hospitals. It's complete. I mean, it's like, this is the largest cash earning product since like the iPhone, especially since the iPhone is just going to tank now, right? Like nobody, who cares about the iPhone right now? And, um, and then, and then taking a large part of those earnings and, and having them go to programs that tell you iPhones are an evil from which you must abstain and actually provide no true benefit to your life, except for maybe a handful of people like doctors and people who really need it all the time. That's basically what's going on here. They're going to they're gonna sell weed to people to get high, and then they're going to give a large portion of that money to people whose only job it is, is to help you learn how to not spend your life being high because they don't want to distinguish between marijuana and heroin to them they're the same goddamn thing and so we're just going to make them super rich fucking bastards so that they can say marijuana is not good except for maybe like a a handful of people like hospice residents nobody actually gets any real relief and then We're going to take a small portion of it and we're going to use that tiny portion and allocate it towards researching the thing that makes us our money so that, you know, we don't really understand it that much better. Instead of taking a large chunk of our money towards something that is getting a large part of our population high and trying to understand it better, we're just going to put a little bit of money towards that so we don't we don't understand it better too fast. It's back ass words, all right. Another thing I don't like is that um, right now, technically, the use of marijuana publicly in California isn't illegal in most places. According to SB 420, uh, you're not allowed to smoke marijuana in no smoking zones. Within a thousand feet of uh, schools or youth centers, unless it's in your your home or the home of someone you know, um, on school buses. And I would say most buses, period, are going to be no smoking zone. So those usually count too. Uh, In a motor vehicle that is being operated, damn it, and while operating a boat. That also kind of is a buzzkill. But I don't have a boat, so eh, whatever. Uh, but technically, if I wanted to go for a walk down a neighborhood that wasn't within a thousand feet of a school or a youth center, wasn't in a no smoking zone, wasn't while I was operating a motor vehicle, I could smoke a joint. It isn't a wise idea, but I could argue that it also isn't illegal. 
This Prop 64 explicitly makes it illegal to do so. Any public consumption is illegal. How do you medicate if it's illegal? How do you medicate? Oh, but there's more I don't like. Don't worry. I don't think that... Um, Okay, so it gives you, it gives five years before it's going to allow large corporations into the market, from what I understand. I don't think five years is enough time to allow the local municipalities the opportunity to grant uh, small business regulation and permits to get their shit together and invite them and to feel comfortable enough about it. And if they decide that they don't want to do that, it grants them the power to exclude that right completely. I don't think to medical patients, except I think it also excludes cultivation for medical patients. There's no, from what I understand, there's nothing that allows cultivation on any scale anymore if any local municipality wants to make it illegal to do so. I mean, that's like, that's Fresno all up in Prop 64 right there. Uh, but going back to the large corporations, I don't think it's enough time to give um, most of the state the opportunity to get the right climate to allow small business to root itself and grow to be on a level with large corporations when the time comes. And because they've limited the vertical integration of large corporations, it might be very likely that when these large corporations move in at the end of five years, a lot of companies that have been struggling through are going to see a way out and there's going to be a lot of horizontal integration because I didn't see anything about limiting horizontal integration. At the end of that five years, when the market becomes inundated with big money and a lot of people who are struggling are no longer struggling. Now, these are just my unqualified thoughts on a couple of things that uh, came to my attention. I didn't really see any reason to vote for the bill other than legal weed, woo, but I'm a fucking patient. And to me, this destroys everything. Um, I mean, the excise taxes that are going to be applied towards marijuana right now, uh, measures that wanted to have that matched on medical marijuana were put down thanks to organizations like ASA. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm happy. I'm very secure. And I don't see why I should default on my ability to access cannabis in, in a decent way so that uh, other people can be fucking stoners, frankly. Um, so I don't think I'm voting for it. I haven't seen any reason. It's not November yet, but I got right now two big thumbs down for Prop 64. All right, you guys, I have rattled on long enough. I still have to edit this bitch and get it posted, and I have no time to do so. So, au revoir. Thanks for spliffing it. Ciao for now.